Welcome to the Redeemer 20 Sermon Podcast, where our goal is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. My name is Luke Dirks, and I'm your host, and I'm also privileged to lead the 20s ministry at Redeemer Church in beautiful Rockford, Illinois. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at our Thursday night gathering at 7 p.m. We hope you enjoy this, and we hope you also join us at a future Thursday. All right, so it's, it's good to be back. It's good to be back with my 20s family. I uh, was traveling for work last week, and I was really trying to make it back. I was. My flight was scheduled to land at 6.20, um, and I was like, okay, so if I run to the tram and go to the parking lot where I parked and then get in my car and I speed the whole way, don't, no, don't do that. And I'll, I'll maybe get there for the ending prayer of the sermon. Uh, but my plane was delayed. I sat in the, you know, they, they taxied up to the, the off ramp and they, what's it called? The jet bridge. And, oh, the jet bridge is delayed 30 minutes. So I just standing in the aisle. I'm like looking at the time. I, I want to get back. I want to see 20s. And then I got out to the street and the bus to my parking lot was delayed an hour. So it was a, it was a good, it was a good experience. Delayed an hour. So I drove by here at about 930, 945 brokenhearted that I <laughs> wasn't able to be with you, but I'm back. I'm here. And I, you were in such good hands last week. Um, Alex, you did such a great job. Thank you for preaching last week. And so if you've been with us, we've been, we just started the book of John. Um, so if you have your Bibles, why don't you open up to that? Um, we have uh, begun our study and let me tell you, it's probably going to be a year, maybe more in this book. And I'm excited about it. One book for one to two years. Gear up. I'm excited. Um, I mean, I think we'll get to chapter five by the end of the year. So we're, we're going to go verse by verse. So that's going to be good. So the book of John is 21 chapters. But what is the purpose? What is the purpose? Someone say get to the point. John, uh, John chapter 20 verse 31 tells us the point of the whole book. He tells us the, the purpose. Why did I write this book? Because of this. John chapter, 30, chapter 20, verse 31. It says, These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And by believing, you may have life in his name. That's a good purpose. I love that. It's written, number one, so that non-believers become Christians, right? So new faith. But it's also written for Christians to grow in their faith. It's written to grow our faith. So right here, right now, what is the state of your faith? Right now. Are you discouraged? Are you downcast? Are you frustrated? Because the book of John, John says, was meant to lift up our heads as Christians. It was meant to be like a fertilizer to our faith. So John's concerned about growing our faith, but let me be clear, the strength of your faith matters, but it doesn't matter when it comes to salvation. Even the smallest amount of faith in Christ is enough to be saved. That was a good, that was a good opportunity for an amen, so let me try this again. Even the smallest amount of faith in Christ is enough to be saved. Amen. amen. It's not about the strength of your faith, right? It's the strength of who you are trusting in. Right? Even on the days when our strength is small, it's about his strength. Right? So it doesn't matter your strength of your faith, the smallest faith is enough for Christ to save you. 
So why, though, does John care so much about strengthening our faith as believers? Why does it matter? And the answer is because it determines our experience as Christians on earth. And I'll give you an example. And again, this is all an introduction of, of what the book of John is about. So we'll get into the text. But this is, again, introduction. So our faith determines our experience on earth. So illustration. Two Christians, they go through the same trial. One finds joy. One finds joy and peace amid the trial. And the other goes through racked by anxiety and fear. Same trial. One is, one is encouraged and going through with faith. And the other is gripping the steering wheel of life with anxiety. What's the difference? It's the same trial. One believes more strongly that God is in control and using that trial for good. One has more faith. And again, it doesn't determine your status that God loves you more, but it determines your experience. Another good illustration is Matthew 8. I use this, I use this often, but the, the disciples on the sea, they're in the middle of a storm. And they're afraid. And Jesus says, you, oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. You have the creator of the universe in your boat, and you are anxious about this boat ride. Oh, if your faith in me is so small. You see, the, the disciples could have been getting a lesson in storm chasing. They could have been relaxing on the boat. They could have been, you know, that's a category five hurricane, and it has wind speeds. You know, they could have been analyzing everything, just content, sleeping with G, you know, Jesus sleeping in the boat. They could have been relaxed, but they didn't. They were full of anxiety and fear. And the reason was because of their faith. Their trust in Jesus was small. And so John's desire for us as believers is to grow in our faith. To grow in our faith so that when trials come, that we can ride through the hurricanes, through the, through the trials with faith, with confidence in our God. So God is, God is much more to give us. Faith is something we pray for, we work on. And that's what we're doing in this series uh, it's, you know, you could call it Operation More Faith. That's the book of John. Do you need more faith? Do you feel low on faith tonight? That's what this book is about. So the question I see the text asking tonight is this. And this is the title of my sermon. Have you received Christ? Have you received Jesus Christ? That's what the, I believe the text's main question is tonight. And... Um, this is important because in order to grow in our faith, you must have this question settled, okay? It's the assurance question. I don't know if I'm saved. Am I saved? Am I Christian? It's really hard to grow in your faith, right? When you're struggling with that. It's a hard question. And so I, I want to shed light on that with, this, with the word tonight. Have you received Christ? And we're, gonna, we're gonna structure it a little differently tonight. Normally, I teach, and then we apply, and then I teach again, and then I apply the you know, application, then teaching the application. Tonight, I'm going to go through uh, all seven verses. We're going to do teaching, and then we're going to get to the application after. I'm doing something a little different, but if you understand, say check. All right, we're ready. So let's get into the text. Um, John chapter 1. You're like, finally, let's go. Let's read. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. 
John was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. I love how clear they are. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and yet the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. Talking about Jesus. He came to his own, to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So, there's a lot to unpack there. And in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about who who John the Baptist was. So some of these things we'll we'll just pick up briefly and we'll come back to. Um, Again, what I want to zero in on is, have you received Christ? So, um, but first, let's divide the text into two sections, just so we, you know, have simplicity, right? We're studying God's word. We want to have a framework to how to understand it. So the first three verses I want to put under the heading of John's ministry, the ministry of John the Baptist. So in verse six, we find that before Christ was going to come into the world, there was going to be a messenger, God's messenger, right? There was a man sent from God, his name was John. Okay, so, and this was John the Baptist. This is separate, right? This is separate from the writer of John. The writer of John is the apostle John. And, um, but the John we're talking about here was the cousin of Jesus. He was the son of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Um, he was, he, um, he was cousin with Jesus, and he was kind of a weird cousin. He was kind of a weird cousin. Anybody have a weird cousin? I do. And, uh, and so Jesus' cousin was kind of weird. Um, and uh, he was weird because, you know, Matthew, Matthew chapter 3 tells us that he ate locusts and he ate honey and he wore, like, sackcloth. He, he just, he wasn't a well-dressed dude for the back, back then. But he was God's messenger that God was going to send in front of the Christ. He was the forerunner, the Bible calls him. Um, he was sent to prepare the way of the Lord. His name was John. And uh, verse 7 then gives us John's mission statement. You know what a mission statement is? You know what a mission statement is? Yeah, it's what are we about at our company? Um, I don't even know my the company I work for. I'm like trying to remember it. I don't know, but I do know Redeemer Church's mi- uh, mission statement is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Right? Can we all say that together. Redeemer Church's mission is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Yeah, that's our mission statement. That's why we meet, right? We, we, we come to fill up, to encourage each other, right? We hear God's word. We sing together. We pray for one another. We build one another up. We stir one another up to good deeds, right? And then we go out, right? We go out. The Great Commission. Jesus Christ has commanded us to go out. That's our mission statement. Now, John, his mission statement is found there right in uh, verse 7. It says this. John came as a what? A witness. To bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. So if if John had an office and on his wall he had his mission statement, it it would be a sign that read, I preach so that people would receive Christ. That was his mission statement. The reason I'm in ministry, the reason I'm in business, the reason I'm standing in the in the wilderness eating locusts. Is because I want people to receive Jesus, the Messiah. He is coming. 
John was a, 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 um, the forerunner. And now John's ministry was not small. His ministry was massive. I like to say that John uh, was the first uh, megachurch. He had the first megachurch. I don't know. Just something. Every time I read Mark chapter 1, you can't help but thinking, man, this church must have been massive. Because if you look in Mark chapter 1, it said that all of Judea and all of Samaria were coming out to see John the Baptist. That's, I mean, that has to be a lot of people, right? That's the first megachurch. Um, so John's ministry wasn't small, but John, um, I don't want to get too much into John because we're going to get into him later, but John, he kind of bucked all the, you know, maybe like church growth rules, right? Okay. You got to have skinny jeans on. You got to say it in a cool way. You got to have a cool Instagram. Definitely don't eat locusts. You definitely don't wear a paper sack and you definitely don't live like in the wilderness, you gotta live by the freeway where tons of people can come and you can get more mem- members and you gotta get givers, you know. John, you're way out in the boonies. You're never gonna have a church. But he, he, he bucks that whole system. And, and I love that because John the Baptist wasn't known for his flashiness. He was known for his passion. He was known because he was testifying to who Jesus was. He must increase. I must decrease. Jesus is coming. He was known for his passion. And I love that because you don't have to be fashionable or attractive to be massively used by God, right? You don't have to fit into the Instagram box of all these Christian hipster people, right? You don't have to fit into that box. You can look different. You can look like John. You can eat locusts even. You don't have to be what the world says is attractive to be used by God. Look at John's ministry. So encouraging. John's mission statement on his wall would have been, I preach Christ. Christ is coming. What's your mission statement? In verse 8 and 9, we see the repetition of that again. It's like, it's like, hey, if you didn't get it here, if you didn't get the purpose of my ministry here, let me tell you it again, all right? Verse 8 says, he was not the light. Okay, in case you didn't get it, John the Baptist wasn't the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. He came to tell of who the light was. John's purpose was not to call all people to himself, but it was to proclaim the coming of Christ so that people would have the chance to receive him. His whole job was a sign pointing to something else, right? A sign, you guys know what a sign is on the road. The sign isn't where you're arriving. It's pointing to that destination. Just like if you were, if I was to have you over, my wife and I were to have you over, at our house, we have a sign on our house that says 2115. That's the house number. But that's not our house, right? It's like, nice house. No, that's the sign that tells you where our house is. That's what John was. He was a sign pointing to Christ. And every opportunity he had, he was pointing to him. He, Christ must increase. I must decrease. More on that later. If, you, if, you, if you're like, man, John seems like a cool guy. Yes, in two weeks, if you see later in the chapter one, we're going to... Uh, get more into into his life. So look forward to that. But, so again, John lived to make Jesus' ministry known. John lived to make make known Jesus' offer of salvation. So again, first three verses, John's ministry. Last uh, three verses, Jesus' offer of salvation. So again, I'm just trying to help you frame the text. If you have the Bible in front of you, how am I to think about this? So it's talked about John's ministry, and now the apostle is going to talk about Jesus' offer of salvation. 
And verse 10, can I just admit something to you? This verse is stunning. Just read this verse. Jesus was in the world. It's talking about Jesus. And the world was made through him. <laughs> That's like the painter entering his painting. Or the, it's like that song, the, or the architect entering his building. Jesus entered into his creation. And the world, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, verse 11, and his own people did not receive him. What? What? You see, this, this is Jesus. He became flesh. He did miracles, preached. He was known. He was famous in the Judean countryside. He even passed, surpassed John. So what does it mean that he wasn't received, that he wasn't known? Because certainly he was known. Certainly people had heard of this Jesus, this man who preaches with authority. Certainly they had heard of him. What does it mean that they did not receive him or did not know him? It means they did not accept him as savior. That was one of uh, Pastor Alex's um, points last week, that Jesus is savior. That's what it means here in verse five, um, that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus has come into the world as the savior and the world has rejected him. The world has rejected him. You know, the world was entertained by his speeches they liked that he humbled the religious leaders, right? They liked the free food and free health care. But they never believed that he was their personal savior. They never received him. So you see, God's arms were open wide to them. He had sent his own son, but they did not receive him. And, and in this verse, we learn that not everyone will receive Christ. In fact, everyone in this room today and everyone you've ever met is either rejecting Christ or has received him. There's only two buckets. There's only two baskets you could fall into. You, as a person, you could receive Christ. God has sent him as his own son as the propitiation for the world's sins. And you could receive that or you could reject it. But there's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. I was having a conversation. I had my second uh, gospel conversation with a coworker. Um, at my work, I took him out to lunch and I was studying this verse. It was perfect because it was two days ago. I was studying this verse. It was fresh in my mind. And I, I said, uh, I'll, I'll say his name is Randy. Randy, you are either receiving Christ or you are rejecting him. There is no middle ground because I think he grew up in the Catholic church. He, he's, he says, I try to do God's ways. No, 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 you don't understand the world, Jesus is coming to the world and some people will reject him and some will receive him. And you know, we had a great conversation, but he's not in the place yet where he is ready to receive Christ. You can pray for me. I keep having that conversation with him. But that is, that is true. That not everyone will receive him. Okay, so what does receiving mean? Because we figured that out in verse 12 here. So if you're a, if you're a student of God's word, if, you're a, if, you are, if you've been paying close attention, you see in verse 12, that believing is used as a substitute for the word receive. Check it out. Verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So do you see that? How he's equating receive and believe? 
Is this just me nerding out on the Bible right now? Like, whoa, like seriously, receive means believe. Like John just gave us a dictionary here. Okay, well, what does it mean to believe, John? Receive him. Okay, well, what does it mean to receive him? Believe him. That's, that's what he's saying here. Okay, so what is, he, what is it? What are we believing in? It's verses one through five. That Jesus is God, that he's creator. You, we, have, we must receive Christ. We must believe him as our personal savior. Have you done that? Have you done that? Many of us have grown up in the church. It's, hey, if you haven't, it's okay. I'm not trying to single you out. But a lot of this room have grown up in the church. And I would hate for you to live so many years in the church deceived. I go to church. I'm a member. I have to be saved. But have you accepted Christ as your personal Savior? Because verse 12 says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Speaking of adoption, (laughs) I love that. The glorious truth doctrine of adoption that we've been brought into God's family. And I want to let you know, we're going to come back to that. So I, I, I'm not going to pick that up. I'm not going to dive super deep in that tonight, but it's coming back around. And same, um, same with this idea. Check, check out the end of the verse. So it's in verse 13. It says that they were born, these people who received Christ were born not of blood. So what that means is it does, uh, this entering into God's family doesn't become come from your relation by blood. You're not in God's family by blood, right? Or of the will of the flesh or the will of man. Okay, what's that? That's by working hard to earn a position in God's family, right? He's saying you weren't born of God by your own will, by your own works. But you were, you were adopted because you were born of God, because of God's power in your life. So more on that in the weeks to come. John 3, John 3 talks about Nicodemus being born again. So we'll, we'll talk all about new birth. Um, but again, like I said, I, as I was preparing for this, I felt burdened to camp out on, have you received Christ? I felt burdened because we, sometimes we move on from that. And I just couldn't do it. <laughs> do you believe that he is your personal savior? It's not enough to believe he was a good man. You must trust Christ as your only hope. You must believe on the one hand that you are more sinful than you have ever imagined. And yet that Christ loves you more than you could have ever imagined. You must receive Christ as your rescuer. He alone can clear the debt. He alone can clear your debt that you have racked up. And I love verse 13. Do all who receive Christ... You're granted adoption and given the new birth. I love that. So amazing. So again, have you received him? Now with the rest of the time, so we kind of walk through the verses. The rest of the time, I want to answer this question. How do I know if I've received him? How do I know I'm, I've been born again? And the good news is that the same uh, writer of the book of John also wrote First John. And he gives us, there's a lot tied into this phrase, born of God in, in verse 13 that ties into the book of 1 John. So um, let me just give you five marks of a Christian. And my hope with this is that some of you who struggle with assurance that really are saved, that you'd be encouraged. That no, 
you're Christ. That maybe you struggle with sin, but you have trusted in him. And as we go through these, I want the Holy Spirit, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would encourage you of, of where, uh, and give you assurance. And I, and I pray that if you are not saved, that the Holy Spirit would reveal that to you as we go through this. So, number one, five marks of a Christian. And again, it's all tied off of verse 13, born of God. What does it mean to be born of God? How do I know for sure I've been born of God? Because the book of 1 John says that you can know that. So point number one, you no longer practice sin. You no longer practice sin. 1 John 3.9 says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. What does that mean? Is that saying that the Christian never sins again? No. <laughs> because that wouldn't line up with James 3.2, right? We all stumble in many ways, right? Or, uh, or uh, Ecclesiastes 7.20, surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. So what does this mean? It means that you no longer, I'm gonna give you three words, deliberately, knowingly, and habitually practice sin. Think about deliberately. You're purposeful in it. You, you, are, you know what you're doing and you come back to it often. Even the word practice, you know, some of you, practice, you uh, played sports in high school, right? You know what it meant to practice, right? And when you go out to practice, you're doing it with a purpose. You're gonna practice your jump shot because you love practicing and you're gonna plan time to do it and you're gonna do it intentionally and you're gonna do it deliberately and you're gonna do it repeatedly, right? Because you wanna get better. You wanna practice that sport. Those who are not saved are marked by a, by a delight and a purposefulness in sin. They practice sin. But when you become born of God, you no longer practice sin. You no longer um, go after it. You don't have a taste for it anymore. And when you do sin, you hate it, right? I hate it. I didn't want to go there again, but I did, and I hate it. Lord, I trust you. Lord, forgive me of my sin. I, I turn away, and I don't want to go back. That's what it means to no longer practice sin. It's not that you're not a sinner anymore. Yes, you're a sinner. But you no longer run after it and, and, and deliberately pursue it anymore. That's the beauty of, of, of the Holy Spirit coming to live inside you. It changes your relationship to sin, right? It changes your relationship to sin. So you no longer practice sin. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Also, you pursue righteousness. How do I know I'm saved? Well, 1 John 2.29 2, 2 says, You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of God. That's so clear. <laughs> everyone who practices righteousness has, has been born of God. And again, just as I once intentionally, deliberately pursued my sin, I now intentionally and deliberately pursue righteousness. Right? Just as I planned my workouts in high school and practiced my jump shot and worked on my cardio, I now train myself for godliness. Right? I train myself for godliness. I meditate on God's word. I gather with believers to encourage each other, to pray for one another. I do those things. I'm dead serious about living God's way, not my old way. Right? I'm dead serious. I practice Righteousness now. This doesn't mean you don't slip up. 
but your, your life trajectory has changed. You're, you're experiencing increasing separation from sin and increasing victory in your life. Is that you? Is that you? That, some of you, that is, that you are pursuing righteousness. And you have been born of God. Number three, 1 John 3.14 says, We know that we have been born of God because we love the brothers. We love the brothers. So, how do I know I've been saved? You love other believers. You love other Christians. You see, when a person is born into the family of God, you love your, your, your spiritual siblings. You love them. You're like, brothers, sisters, we're a family. There's this desire that changes within you. You once went to church and it was boring and rote and, and, and just methodical and, and systematic and dead. But now you come at 8 a.m. on a Sunday and you're like 20s front row, right? You love to see your brothers and sisters worshiping next to you and studying God's word next to you. There's a natural affection for each other. You see, we no longer compete in selfish ambition and rivalry anymore. We, know we, we purpose in our heart no longer to gossip and speak evil of others. And instead we pray for one another. We encourage each other. We love the saints. You know, I was once insecure about other people's strengths, but now I've learned that that was just selfishness. And I want to love other people. I want to pray for them. I'm freed up to love others. <laughs> See, the Christian is free. Freed up to love other Christians. Not so tied down in themselves. And that's happening increasing, right? Increasing more and more. Point number four, how do I know I'm saved? First John 5, 4. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. What does that mean? Sounds cool. <laughs> overcomes the world. Well, a person who's born of God, what it, what it means is they don't use the world's opinion or standard of right and wrong um, anymore for them. What worldly people think is no longer on my radar, right? It's like if you moved to France and everyone else lived by the laws of France, but you were gonna live as an American. A different law. It's like you, you have French laws, I'm gonna live by American laws. <laughs> You're living differently. You don't care what the culture says of you anymore. You don't care that the culture's laws say, delay marriage as long as possible, pursue your own agenda, don't serve anybody because you need to go get your, uh, your future set. You need to uh, have as much fun right now, here, now, before you die. That's what the world says. But you no longer live for that. You live by God's ways. You've overcome the world. You're not listening to the, all the, the Instagram influencers who are telling you what the world thinks is success. You've overcome the world because you've been born of God. You've been born of His Spirit. You're a new creation. And now only what God thinks of you. God's praise means more, than, more to you than the praise of man. That's what it means to overcome the world. And finally, uh, how do I know I'm saved? How do I know I'm a believer? You are honest about sin. You're honest about your sin. The light has come into the world and you are not shutting the doors of your house 
blocking out the light. No one, no one knows. Hope no one finds out. First John 1, 8 through 10 says this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. That's a powerful statement, yeah? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We're not deceiving anybody else. Look, when we sit in a small group and say, oh, I'm good, we're not deceiving anybody else. First John says we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, though, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But, verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar. If we say we have not sinned, we make God a liar. His word is not in us. You see, if you're saved, you no longer hide your sin anymore. You don't put on a front, (laughs) right? Because if you can't be honest about your sin, let's be honest. (laughs) Let's be honest. It's still controlling you. If you can't come to the light, if you can't reveal it, if you can't confess it to the Lord and one other believer, it still has a hold over you. If you're just hiding it, You're honest about your sin. Look, and, and you know, the Bible already makes this clear. We all stumble in many ways. We're all sinners, right? That's not a surprise. The Bible's already settled that. So why are we hiding our sin? The true Christian goes, yeah, you're right. I'm a sinner. Do you know I have a greater Savior? He paid for that. I've trusted him. The question is not, are you a terrible sinner? <laughs> or am I a terrible sinner? Because the answer to that is yes, Right? The question is, am I honest about it? Have I allowed the light of Christ to fall upon my heart? Have I opened the windows of my heart to the light? That's a big mark of, of someone who is a believer. Do you hide your sin or you come to the light about it? Are you honest about it? You know, some of you uh, tonight, you're hearing that. and I'm just praying that the Lord would take his word. This is God's word. These are, these are scriptures that I've given you that come from God's word. I pray that you would take them, weigh them, and that some of you would be encouraged that, man, I'm saved. I know God. I have increasing separation from my sin. I do hate my sin. I do desire righteousness. I do love Christ. But then others of us are still in a deep pit hiding our sin, practicing sin over and over again with no remorse. We love the world more than we love God. And I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would reveal that to you. I can't show you that. (laughs) But I'm praying that God would reveal that to you. Because it's so important. Have you received Christ, friends? Have you received him? If If you are saved, if you have that, Confidence. If you have that assurance, join me right now. And just praying by yourself, praying along with me, praying for the people in here that that still don't know, that still feel that unsettledness. Join me for that, Lord. We pray as we contemplate your great gospel and the effects that it has upon us, and when we come face to face with what your word says. Lord, increasing righteousness, love for the saints, openness about sin, overcoming the world. Lord, that we are encouraged that that is us because we are in Christ. 
Lord, some of us in here feel that. Lord, I know so many of us in here do. I know specifically. Lord, and, and it's such a glorious thing to be free. <laughs> free from the love and the love of what the world thinks. And free from sin. <laughs> Lord, you came into the world to save sinners. And so, Lord, I pray for anybody in the middle. Lord, they just are struggling with their assurance. I pray, Lord, in our time of small group that they'd be able to speak and, and discuss it. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would affirm it in their heart. Lord, am I saved? Have I received Christ? Or, or am I not? Have I, am I rejecting Christ right now and I just haven't realized it? I've just been in the middle all this time and I didn't know. <laughs> I'm still in my sin. You need to repent. You need to turn away. You need to trust Christ. The light has come into the world with his arms wide open for you. Don't reject him. Don't push him away. Lord, I pray for those people. Lord, don't let them leave this room without settling that conviction in their heart. Lord. Thank you for the book of John, Lord, that it, that it, it is faith building. It is for our faith. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.